0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa. This is another show for December of 2017. We're getting to the end of the year, so it's time to relax, kick back, put on some eggnog listening music, pour some eggnog, and listen to us. In order to do all of those things, we need to bring in the man who knows how to pour a good stiff, what is it, Jim, like a barrel? How do you measure eggnog? (laughs) by the glug so where do you bring this up because i'm trying to deal with the health
1: issues i'm with seriously looking at whether or not there was such a thing as an egg white nog and i basically <laughs> told at that point look just drink the rum straight at that point
0: <laughs> like egg beater's version of egg yeah rum, it's right?
1: like no if you're going down that road just have the rum
0: so before we get started on our show today which is a listener question around the history of spectro magic before we do that. A couple of news items. One, we see that uh, Disney is announcing right now some upcoming news items for 2018. They're doing sort of a 12 days of Christmas thing with this. One of the announcements was something that we had speculated on a couple months ago. It was that when Disney brings back the sit-down restaurant at Caribbean Beach, it will again be called Shutters which I think is mildly surprising. We weren't sure whether it was gonna happen. It was the rumor we heard, but apparently they confirmed it just this week.
1: Yeah, well, and again, just to stress here, this is the S-H-U-T-T version of shutters rather than the S-H-U-D-D version, which (laughs) I know whenever anyone proposed that you eat there, Len, that's what you did. Food that
0: makes your skin crawl. Come on in. Uh, All right.
1: I have to admit, I had a fondness for old Port Royal, but that was because I remember staying there just... As Disney MGM was opening, and back then it was new and unique, and Disney had never done a moderate. Yeah. But I guess over time, it just kind of took a beating, and I'm happy to see it come back with that name. I'm just hoping it comes back as a, a better restaurant.
0: Yeah, that's it. If Hopefully we all believe in the Hindu version of reincarnation where we come back <laughs> as better selves, right? <laughs> 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 Go with that on the restaurant side. The other interesting bit of news, and you had mentioned this about 10 days ago when we recorded recorded a previous show. You had mentioned that Disney and Fox were secretly on again in terms of talking about their merger. And lo and behold, on Monday this week, it came out that they were again talking indeed. This is the merger of Fox's, most of Fox's TV assets minus the stations, plus their sports stuff in what's valued at a 60 billion, with a B?
1: Yeah. Dollar
0: deal for Disney. Yeah,
1: as of this morning, by the way, they've refined that to 68 billion
0: Lens. Oh, so it's getting more precise, therefore we know that they're more serious.
1: Now to put this in perspective, I know everybody's sort of comparing this to acquiring Pixar or Lucasfilm or...
0: No, it's uh, more like ABC. It was more like Cap Cities. Absolutely.
1: I mean, the, the Cap Cities deal back in July of 1995, that was $19 billion. And then if you adjust for inflation, that that's over 30 at this point.
0: Or two and a half Bitcoin, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It was funny, wasn't <laughs> oh, it? <laughs>
1: oh, Bitcoin. It yes. In the middle of all of this, there's been all this talk about, and now Iger will have to extend. Who, you know, And again, we're on our third
0: extension. <laughs> Jim, let me quote the New York Times here. Yep. Will Bob Iger ever step down? That's <laughs> the headline of the New York Times. Well, Will Bob Iger ever
1: leave? I mean, Fox is like, look, we want Bob to stay in the building because Bob actually came on board at Disney in February of 1996 when they completed the acquisition. I mean, Bob prior to coming to Disney, was actually the president of ABC television from 94 to 95. And then he became the the president and chief operating officer of Cap City's ABC in 1995. So he's actually been through a merger of this size, which can take years. Oh, yeah. They supposedly completed the deal again, February of 1996. But as late as February 2001, they were still dealing with issues like because Icer wanted to be able to meet with people immediately at ABC rather than have to fly to New York. They actually built a brand new corporate headquarters for ABC across Riverside Drive from the Disney lot. And as of February, 2001, they were like, okay, everybody get ready to pack up your families and come out here. And they were, <laughs> and they were like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, there were actually 30 executives who hung back and just sort of like, no, I don't want to go and live in Southern California. So, uh, yeah, we could conceivably see Bob hanging on to 2021 just because of the nuts and bolts. Part of what's going to happen here is that you have two companies that have to meld together. We they have to decide about redundancies, the pre-existing deals, who is in charge of what. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I actually have enjoyed... Iger's tenure at Disney, and if he hangs on for another five years or so, you know, it's like okay. Compared to the Eisner years, which things were dramatic with Iger, they're not necessarily dramatic. Every so often, he does spend a couple of billion dollars, but he's not picking fights with Roy Disney. That's true, there's that. Or battling with Universal to see who can get a theme park built in Florida faster. My understanding is things don't get derailed. The announcement will be made Wednesday of next week. Then at that point, it's gonna take a full year because a deal of this size, you know, the government is gonna have to sign off on.
0: So do you think uh, December 13th, because we're recording this in advance, do you think that'll be the date that it's? Yeah,
1: and then we're looking at a full year of getting the governmental approvals, getting the shareholders from the individual companies, and in between that time, it's kind of deciding who's in charge of Disney is that that's the other story that's out there, that, you know, James Murdoch of Fox, the Rupert Murdoch son, may in fact come in in a senior management position at Disney, which given that Tom Staggs resigned last year as COO, there are some holes to fill.
0: That's just one of the interesting stories around the possible merger. Let me ask you this question. Mm -hmm. We know that Disney is intent on launching their own streaming service to compete with Netflix. They've already announced... They're pulling their stuff from Netflix. Disney owns 30% of Hulu. Yep. Fox owns 30% of Hulu. Is Fox's 30% stake in Hulu part of what is in this merger talk? Is that up for grabs as well?
1: Yeah. And remember who owns the other percent of Hulu. That's Comcast.
0: So if Disney gets the 30% that Fox owns then they would have a controlling interest in Hulu. They could do whatever they want. Yeah,
1: and in fact, the scenario that I've been hearing is that Comcast basically sells off Hulu at that point.
0: But They wouldn't have any control over what happens, yep. yeah.
1: there's a lot of interesting questions. I mean, take, for example, what happens with Blue Sky Studios. Here's the animation studio that's done, what, five of the Ice Age movies, which only just this year, because uh, Despicable Me 3 did as well as it did. That's now the, the highest grossing animated franchise in the history of Hollywood, but Ice Age is right up there, and Blue Sky is releasing a feature-length version of Ferdinand for the holiday season, with. Uh, John Cena.
0: I saw that as I walked through New York. I see uh, taxis with bullhorns on them now as promos. There you go. The irony is this is a Disney silly symphony
1: that these guys have actually, from what I've seen of it, have done a brilliant job featurizing this. But at the same time, does a Disney actually
0: need three?
1: animated studios
0: yeah maybe maybe they go to television or something
1: but at the same time given the amount of money that blue Sky's films have made to date
0: yeah how do you how do you give up on that right
1: yeah and never mind the fact that it's based out of new york state and the tax situation they can actually do things much more affordably than both pixar and disney can do right
0: now that's right because new york state is uh, actually pretty good for film and movie tv credits And we won't even touch
1: on the fact that as part of the Fox deal, you get the complete rights to the first six Star Wars films back, plus the X-Men. I mean, there's a lot of aspects of this that really tie into Disney's vision of how the company operates with its separate silos for Lucasfilm and Marvel and Pixar. But in all of this coverage, there is mention that the Comcast of the worlds are still contenders in this deal that they still would like to swoop in there and get this away from Disney so I guess we won't know until the middle of the next week but as of right now folks I'm talking with at the company Mm -hmm. the sign that this is probably actually going to happen is the fact that there's now this dome of silence that's dropped over a certain level of management and it's like everybody below is speculating but the fact that everything is on lockdown and lots of people just being told don't answer your phones it's like like holy crud!
0: This is actually going to happen. I'm surprised it's happening this fast. I've heard rumors that it this could be possibly the uh, like a instead of a Disney buying Fox, this is more of a merger. And you've seen instances in this past where a smaller company essentially takes over a larger company by putting its management in place over it. So Fox is 68 billion. Disney's worth basically double that, 132. Mm-hmm based on market capitalization. Do you think this is more of a merger than an acquisition? That's where the James Murdoch
1: coming into a management position gets interesting. If you think about it, that is a repeat of what happened with Iger when Disney bought ABC. Yeah. So it would be interesting to have Murdoch come in sort of the Iger position with the understanding Iger really does want to retire at some point. I mean, I know.
0: <laughs> sure he does. I often indicate that I wanna to intend to go on a diet gym by ordering uh, a large pizza and three Cokes to drink. Well as well. <laughs> all
1: I can tell you is that just last year that Tom Staggs after they did that whole he and, and Rizzullo swapping positions in two thousand nine, so yeah. the parks and resort guy would get some financial experience and so on and you know, I mean there was literally a bake off for who would be the successor at Disney. And the thing with Murdoch is is it turns out James Murdoch is actually A fan of Disney, the fact that Disney was able to do the Avatar thing at Animal Kingdom, that Mm -hmm. had to be signed off on by the Murdochs. That's another aspect of this deal that people are quick to point to. It's like, if the four Avatar films that are now in production do anywhere near the business that the first one did, Disney will be well on their way to recovering the $68 billion just from those four films. I would be surprised if when this is announced that it's not talked up more as a merger, if the younger Murdoch is not in some sort of management position at Disney and supposedly being groomed to take over four or five years down the line. So again, if they can pry the company out of Iger's cold, dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> But again, I have to tell you that Willow, Bob's bride, has been ready to put Disney in the rearview mirror for quite some time now. But every time she turns around, Bob goes and buys something.
0: Yeah, and he's like, "Ah, I got to stay till I get this this latest acquisition integrated in the company. It's like the Winchester house. (laughs) So for our listeners, the, the story is that back in the 1800s, the widow of the Winchester empire, the guy that made the Winchester rifles, starts building a house. And goes to a fortune teller or a psychic who says, as long as this house is under construction, you will not die. So she decides to just keep building onto the house. And she's adding room on top of room on top of room and stairways that go nowhere. And the house still exists. It's this famous landmark in California. And I get the feeling that, that Bob Iger is basically doing a Winchester house, but for Disney, where he can't leave as long as there's an acquisition to be integrated. Like a fortune teller told him, it as long as you're buying companies and, and bringing them in, you'll never leave the company.
1: Well, <laughs> okay. I, it's so funny you say that because in, in 2014, that was actually used as a justification for extending Iger Steel, which which as of October of 2011, Bob was supposed to step down as CEO in 2015, and but stay out as chairman and then walk out the doors at June of 2016. But... When Disney acquires Lucasfilm in 2012, here's the company extending his deal Again, in October of that year, because it's like, well, yeah. we haven't finished building Shanghai, and we haven't integrated Lucasfilm, and better that we keep Bob on board, and and here's poor Tom Staggs; he still hadn't been named CEO at that point, and it's like, I've done the talent portion of the competition,
0: you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, what are, what, what are we waiting for? Yeah, here? there you go. All right, well, we'll see what happens uh, a week from now. All right, to to today's topic, and this is actually a listener question sent to us from Bernie. Bernie, thank you very much. Here's the question or the statement. Hello, Jim and Len. I love the episode where you went over the history of the Main Street Electrical Parade. Can you guys do an episode on Spectro Magic? It's one of the most beautiful and best nighttime parades ever made by Disney. I really want to know what the Spectro men were saying in the parade and what they were. That's the question. So I got to say, I like Spectro Magic a lot as a parade as well. I think it's got a great soundtrack. I was sad to see it go. It was also the first parade that my daughter and I saw together. Mm. In the Magic Kingdom. So sentimental value to it for me as well. So Jim, what do you what do you start us off? And I realize that this is probably at this point more than one show. So let's do the beginning part of it. All right. Uh today. We'll we'll pick it up on another show.
1: I also have a, a soft spot in my heart as well for Spectral Magic. I was actually there in the park the night that it debuted. And I was standing on Main Street in the plaza area when the parade came into the park and so enjoyed it, I actually ran to the back of the park to catch it as it rolled into offstage to Fantasyland. It was unlike anything Disney had done to date. And in fact, the guys who put it together flat out admitted that, yes, that the whole point of this parade was that it was the anti-Main Street Electrical Parade. Let me stress here that when I say anti-Main Street Electrical Parade, it's not the people who worked in creative entertainment actively hate her to dislike the parade. It's just that you have to understand, Main Street Electric Parade has kind of a convoluted history at the company. Back in the fall of 71, the people who were running Disneyland were feeling kind of put out because... The Anaheim Park used to be the Disney corporate's darling, but now Mm -hmm. here's this $400 million vacation kingdom that's opened on 40 square miles of land outside of Orlando, and now, well, Disney World's getting all of corporate's love and attention, not Disneyland, and this actually began having an impact on morale at, at theme park, I mean bear country you think Disneylanders would be excited about this new four acre land that by the fall of 71 was already under construction in the northwest quadrant of the park but given that well, Disney Productions was spending seven million dollars in Anaheim what they were looking to do they just wanted to add Country Bear which had just opened at Disney World to Disneyland's lineup and as far as the Disneylanders were concerned this was a case of getting Disney World's hand-me-downs. Uh. So management at Disneyland is like, we have to do something to turn this around. We have to make the people who work at this park feel special again. And ironically enough, the idea to do that came from one of the opening night parties at a Walt Disney World. In fact, this is the one for the Polynesian Village Resort where they're holding a luau. And the cap for the show is... It didn't have a name because it was only supposed to be a temporary thing, but this was the electrical water pageant. If you flat out ask Bob Yanni, the gentleman who was in charge of spectacles for Disney, that was never supposed to be a permanent show. No, you look at it, it's basically bailing wire on a float with some Christmas lights. That's it, exactly. (laughs) That was the whole notion of we're doing this for the one night, we're doing this to entertain the people at the party. But the reaction that it got from everybody was like holy cow that is the greatest thing i've ever seen and can we run that for the folks who are staying at the contemporary and when we open the campground six weeks from now can we put it over there and it's just sort of like you understand that it's all chicken wire right it's like you know and christmas lights and car batteries this was only a one night thing but the folks who've been to the party were so crazed about it that well all right let's run it again tomorrow night and and then we'll shut it down and then it just they were never able to shut it down but Meanwhile, here's Bob Yanni, again, the guy in charge of spectacles for the Disney parks. And there he is with Ron Mitziger, who also works that end of the business. And and they know that here's Disneyland feeling like it doesn't have anything special. And Bob, to his credit, makes the jump from looking out at Christmas lights on a darkened Seven Seas lagoon. And it's like, well, hell, what if we were to turn down the lights at Disneyland and do something similar? And for the first two years, when uh, the Main Street Electrical Parade was running from 72 to 74 at Disneyland, they were two-dimensional flats. Most of them had no dimensionality at all because they had been slapped together so quickly. If you want to read a great history of how the Main Street Electrical Parade came together, there's a book by Ben Sherman. It's just called Lights. It was published back in December of 2013. And uh, you'd love this book because Bob— or excuse me, Ben Sherman. Ben— was part of the team that did this and he actually changes the names of the people at Disneyland who worked on this thing to protect the not-so-innocent. The subtitle of the book is actually Imagination, Egos, Mystery, Deceit, and 523,814 Lights. physical book is now out of print, but you can still go read the Kindle. So if you really want to find out what happened here, go pick that up. Anyway, Bare Bones, Main Street Electrical Parade, runs at disneyland summers of 72 73 74 does exactly what the people wanted it creates this sensation people come back to disneyland over the summer stay there late at night which means they're eating in the restaurants they're shopping so it has this great plus to disney's disneyland's bottom line disneyland has this special thing that orlando doesn't have and that really helps turn the morale situation around at that theme park jumping ahead to 75 we're on the verge of the bicentennial and so what the disney company decides to do is all right let's do a bicentennial parade for both parks and this okay. is the first time disney's ever built a parade for both parks simultaneously. It debuts the exact same time, April of 75, runs for two years. And then when it wraps up on September of 1976, it's like, well, Mm -hmm. the whole time Disneyland is getting people coming into guest relations going, that was wonderful. But when are you bringing back that Main Street Electrical Parade thing? My family and I loved that. And so... Disney's like, well, we had success with building two American Parade parades at the same time. If we're going to redo the Disneyland version of the Main Street Electrical Parade and and dimensionalize it, you know, make three-dimensional floats this time and fix the stuff that kept blowing up, why don't we build one for Walt Disney World at the same time? And now, a a wonderful kind of reverse on the whole bear country situation, now it's Disney World's turn to kind of get their nose out of joint, because it's like, what do you mean we get Disneyland's hand-me-down parade?
0: That's common, right? Yeah. It becomes common anyway. All right.
1: And we're Disney World. We're the big one. We, shouldn't we get our own special parade? And it's like, well, it is a special parade. And it, it hasn't been there before. People will enjoy this. But for the folks at Disney World, especially the people who work at the Magic Kingdom, it's kind of galling. Because think about it. The electrical water pageant has never gone away. And it has pretty much the same look and it actually uses the same music yep. the folks of the kingdom worked really hard to tr- make this not happen but sometimes it just did that crowds would come out of the kingdom having just seen the late show of the mainstream mm-hmm. Electric Parade and as they're waiting for a monorail or a boat to go back over to the Poly or the Contemporary and here's the water pageant and it's like hey didn't I just see that show <laughs> and so managers <laughs> at the kingdom were like come on, can we get something different? Can we get something for ourselves, for our own? And the weird thing is they thought they had their window in 1980 because for Disneyland's 25th anniversary, they had a giant parade that was created that celebrated the history of the park. I mean, there were parade floats built for separate lands and music and and that sort of thing. And they're like, hey, uh, 1981 is our 10th anniversary
0: yeah what do you got for
1: us disney corporate was like well you may notice the other theme park we're building just down the street from you the epcot thing and that's already gone from 400 million to 800 million (laughs) they had to make that opening because they had promised the corporate partners that they would be open for october 1st 1982 they threw so much money at it it topped out at 1.2 billion and so it's like you know we're kind of stressed out here financially but tell you what we'll give you some money to add new floats so for 1980-81 they actually got floats that were tied to fox and the hound added to the parade and then in 85 they got return to oz stuff added but as far as the folks at well disney world were concerned this was still this parade that keyed off of the electrical water pageant and there was nothing special about it and it's just sort of like can we get something that's just our own luckily come 1984 here comes Michael Eisner through the door But it takes a while to get Michael's attention because by January of 1985, he's already announced that he wants to build Disney MGM Studio Tour.
0: By when? When Well,
1: he wanted it open ahead of Universal Studios Florida, which at that point was supposed to open in 89. So they were frantically throwing money at that. That eventually went from a half-day park to a project that cost $300 million, but they got that open May of 89, and meanwhile, Universal actually falls behind schedule and doesn't open until June of 1990, so that works out for them, but now the kingdom is like, okay, can you pay attention to us for a while here? Epcot opened, and now MGM, and we're stuck with this old parade, and hey, did you notice that 1991 is coming up, and that's our
0: 20th anniversary? (laughs) (laughs) So they're just generating these uh, these letters that say... by the way, this is our ex- anniversary Yeah,
1: and the interesting thing is that the way in, in the theme park world, the, the newness typically wears off within 18 months of any project that you do. And then yeah. it's important right. to have something in the pipeline that will get people excited to come out. So Disney MGM opens May of 1989, just about the end of the 18-month window. Hey, that's the start of Disney World's 20th anniversary celebration, and shouldn't we do something special? What was really brilliant about how the folks in Disney World Entertainment approached this? Well, they knew that they had to do entertainment at all of the parks. For Epcot, they did the Surprise in the Skies show, where it was all of these inflatables around a World Showcase Lagoon, these 45-foot-tall balloons, coupled with lighter-than-aircrafts, you know, that coming. in. fact, oddly enough, good. right where they're building right now at the Caribbean Beach Resort was where the old airstrip used to be, where the, the Mickey, Minnie, and those guys would take off in their ultralights to fly over Epcot. So it's like, okay, so we got that show for Epcot, and we've got what they called the Pretty Woman Show for Disney MGM. Uh, it was in the old Hollywood Bowl back when it was at the top of Sunset Boulevard, before there even was a Sunset Boulevard. I haven't heard of this show. To give you some idea how crazed Disney was about Synergy at this point, they literally insisted that it be called the Pretty Woman Show because... Just the year previous, the Richard Gere, Julia Roberts movie had come out, and it was the highest earning R-rated film the Walt Disney Company had ever released. And it's like, what is Pretty Woman, which I think involved hookers? (laughs) What what does that have to do with Disney characters on stage? It's like, shut up, it's Synergy. (laughs) So now it comes time to get to the Magic Kingdom, and they're like, well, tell you what you know you can pick between doing a new nighttime parade or a new daytime parade and to give the guys in charge of the Magic Kingdom uh, kudos they're like wait 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 last year 1990 didn't you guys do a 35th anniversary parade at Disneyland it's like well yes we did the party gar gar parade which had all those inflatable balloons and it's like well what if we were to take those and bring them to Disney World, and we'll we'll paint them up and change them up a little bit, and and that'll be our daytime parade. We'll be good corporate citizens. We'll we'll recycle Disneyland's parade. <laughs> and it's like, oh oh, hey, that's a great idea. Sure, okay. So, and then it said, hey, at that park you're building in Paris, Euro Disneyland, that opens in '92 you're running over budget, aren't you? And so well, yeah, we are. We're, you know, supposed to be a billion. It's closer to two now. And it's like, hey, rather than spend money to make a nighttime parade, what if we were to give you the Main Street Electrical Parade? And it's like, oh, well, yeah, you know, they haven't seen it. Why, sure, yes, let's let's take Walt Disney World's Main Street Electrical Parade and get it ship to Paris. And so it's like, we haven't spent any money at a daytime parade. And, hey, we don't have a nighttime parade now because we gave it to Paris Isn't it time we have our own special nighttime parade? Oh,
0: genius.
1: (laughs) So Why, yes. Which brings us to where we're going to stop because we then have to get into how they created the most synergistic Disney parade. I mean, synergistic for 1990, 1991. Using cutting edge technology, I mean, it's an amazing parade for its time, and even today. But, but we'll we'll get into that, and I promise, in just one show, not a multi part, just one show. We'll finish up Spectro in time for the holidays, which again, Christmas lights, perfect story.
0: It's absolutely perfect, fantastic. All right, uh, folks, that'll do it for uh, for this episode. Don't forget, we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go into iTunes, Stitcher. Heck, go to uh, Disneyland Paris and uh, write something on the walls about how fabulous our show is. You've been listening to the Disney Dish Podcast with Hill. On behalf of Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.